Welcome back to System Minutes Trivia, the podcast where we will, we will shamrock you. This is Brent. Oh my god, why'd you do that? I'm Jathan, and I am silly. And I'm Peyton with some high energy, yeah! Yeah, Jathan, are you high energy tonight? Oh my god, energy, I am boy. so high energy. Ready? I'm gonna cover my mic don't, for a don't, second. Don't, don't, don't peek. Don't peek. Okay, peep. fine, then pretend I was screaming woo. He's been screaming the entire pre-meeting, and it's... I feel bad enough for Edit already. Why? I, she's gotta fix your shit, dude. Dude, there's nothing gotta you gotta fix, fix about me. I'm not peeking. But not now. Well, we're, pre-show we're wasn't early. recorded. I hate it here. You. I'm going away. <laughs> You're not going away. Shut I'm up. going away. What? Oh, gosh. Anyway, so we've got some exciting news items oh, yeah. this week. But, I don't know. How How's everyone doing? Are you guys doing okay? No! Why? Well, What's the matter, I'm Jay-Thon? feeling a lot better than I was last week. I just have to say that much. There you go. What's the matter, Jayton? I'm planning for this event at my job. The hackathon. You talked about it, yeah. Damn it, I wasn't going to say it. Why? You already talked about it. You talked about it last episode. I'm just kind of stressed out. Like, Why are you stressed out, Jake? I want it to be amazing, and it's still like you know two months out, but I just want it to be amazing. And I've been busting my ass, working on getting things ready, and there's just a lot of other shit going on at work, and I'm just, I haven't been sleeping very well. I've been kind of running a little high stress, and I just so feel So, Peyton, why like, was last week rough for you? I'm out of touch with my emotions. <laughs> I haven't been processing it. Okay, well, find yourself, go on a fucking hike or something. Well, all you make me do is listen to Ravi Shankar and it makes it worse. (laughs) That's only during the pre-meeting and that doesn't make it, you need to open yourself up to accepting. Yes, you do. You need to open. For those not familiar, I play Ravi Shankar during the pre-meeting because Peyton hates it, but to a much more extent, Jayton hates it. I think, I feel like it might have grown on you. At the beginning, you hated it. It's awful. It's this twangy bullshit. It probably oh, sounds great. better if it's not through your fucking speakers and shit coming oh, through great. your mic to us. Well, it's fantastic. You know, it actually helps me relax a little bit before the show. Yeah, well, that's why that's you fucking yeah. fuck up and say stupid stuff because you're too relaxed. I'm the only you one taking so it seriously here. No, you're not. You're obviously not taking the Robbie Shine car seriously. Yeah, that's right. Because I take the show seriously. I care about you fans. I love you. Don't don't listen to him. He doesn't know you. I'm in it for the fans. You. He doesn't love you like I do, baby. Shut um, up, Peyton. What are you drinking? I'm in it for the fans as well, too. Oh, yeah. Okay. What are you drinking? Oh, yeah. So I've, I've got, still got this bottle of Glenlivet here. Uh, trying to finish it off. I've got about, uh, oh, a little under half to go. Oh, you'll finish that tonight. Maybe. If you don't stop talking. <laughs> you said ironically after you paused. <laughs> All right. What are you drinking, Jathan? Jathan? I'm watching out for Peyton. <laughs> I don't want him to kill himself with alcohol. Just... <laughs> what are you drinking? Johnny Walker Black. Okay. And I'm, You're gonna make me die you know what? I'm not attack. in it for the fans anymore. I'm in it for Caden. So help me. If I if I develop some sort of coronary disease, it's all your fault. Because I quit smoking. I'm watching my eating. And Dude, I, you're watching your eating. So I am the I am such at peace normally. Shut up, what are you drinking? I have such inner peace. Such and then inner you'll peace say you shut the fuck up you'll and You'll say let something it go. just so stupid and it sends me into a blind fury of rage. Suit yourself. Pretend he's muted for a second. Papa, I just want you to know I'm looking out for you. <laughs> if you were my son, I'd have smothered you already. <laughs> Damn. In gravy. That's cold. In gravy. That is cold. Colder than Han Solo. All right. So I am drinking <laughs> oh, uh, Bullet Bourbon. Too soon, man. Too soon. <laughs> I'm drinking Bullet Bourbon and Arizona Green Tea because my, my shipment just came in and I get it in bulk because nice. I telecommute. So I've got like a giant, I've got two cases of this, of the, the green tea cans. I love it. Well, that's not awesome. good for you. It's all right. I mean, the, the, the stuff in it really isn't all that bad. All right. Look, premium brute. We'll do this. We're doing this on air. All no, right? do something. Are you listeners else on ready air. for this? Are you? No, no, no. Let's We're do doing it. this. Bring this is what this. not doing it for the fans looks like. Shut up and listen. Premium yeah, brewed up. green tea using filtered water, and then yeah, high fructose corn syrup. So there's that. <laughs> but everything else: honey, citric acid, natural flavors, ginseng extract, extract. Excuse me, ascorbic acid, vitamin C, and that's it. Ascorbic. That's it. Is it ascorbic or ascorbic? Ascorbic. Ascorbic, I want to say. Okay. But I, that's it. The only bad thing in there is the HFCS. Asshole acid? I mean, I don't know. No, the, no. the high fructose corn syrup is, is the bad that's one. That's bad for you. That's really bad for yeah, you. Yeah, but that's the only one in there. 
It's not really that bad for you in moderation. Sure. Whatever you said. It's just what? sugar, for fuck's sake. Yeah, not really. It's... it's high fructose corn syrup. It's syrup. It's not sugar. It's syrup. Oh my gosh. <laughs> oh my gosh. Welcome Listeners, back to Forming System Distribution. I'm going to fucking scream. Listeners, I scream? hope you're ready for a ride, because we, you are in for one tonight. Yes, sir. We're all in a goofy mood, apparently. Part of it, I think, is because like this is our chance to, to kind of... Unwind. Um, yeah, unwind with each other. Definitely. And with y'all. So, sorry we're, we care about. we're subjecting you to it, but also sorry, okay. not sorry. Because <laughs> you're the one that subscribed, so deal with it. Okay, so we, uh, as I said, we have a couple news items. Not many. Um, it's I almost said it. I almost said it. <laughs> I'm not going to say it, because every time I do, I jig it. <laughs> but I will say that I have high hopes for the length of this episode. And I'll leave it at that. All right, Peyton, do you want to give us news? He's got yeah, yeah. high hopes. This is Peyton with the news. Dit, 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 dit. Shut up, Peyton. <laughs> All right. The uh, most important news I think we've probably broken in a long time. Shaw 1 has been officially broken. Holy shit. This is a big deal, guys. This is a big, big, huge deal. Can we talk about this more in in discussion? Are you guys okay with that? Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, sure. Jason, are you down with that? Yeah, just kicking like topic. uh, It looks like WebKit, WebKit tried to implement a check for it, and that broke their repo. Even better. And then Linus, Linux Torvalds? Linus Torvalds oh, has addressed typo. the use of it in Git. Yeah, typos suck. Yeah. So there's that's big news. Keep an eye out for that. Fix your shit. Vulnerability has been discovered in Cloudflare, serv- Cloudflare services. Holy shit, I can't talk. There was a memory leak caused by a parser bug. This is also uh, not a huge deal, but still a big deal. Next bit of news we have is that, uh, oh, well, part of this Cloudflare vulnerability Digital Ocean has been affected. And then we have a lovely thing about an OpenBSD web server. And the article is that you better patch it. Uh, OpenBSD and two of its SSL libraries need patches against a pair of denial service bugs that can crash web-facing servers. Once again, keep your shit patched. Mm. And the surprising part about that is it's OpenBSD. And OpenBSD yeah, only right. has a fantastic track record with these kind of things. Yeah, but, normally you know, as, as shown, you know, it, it's nothing is invulnerable. So... Right. All right. So first, we're also we're gonna spend like I don't know five ten minutes tops on Lineage OS because it's on the list, and I, I wanted to talk about it because we in oh what was it S S zero E five Jathan when we talked about ROMs. Yeah, I don't know exactly the number, but I'll put in the I put you know what I put it in the show notes on the last episode. So look at the at the notes for S two E one, and you'll find a link there to the to which episode we talked about Android ROMs. So Lineage OS. Like we said last episode, it's basically a revamping of Cyanogenma, but it's totally from scratch, and it's probably the route you want to go if you were previously using CyanogenMod, considering CyanogenMod is dead. And Payton mentioned last episode that he installed it on his tablet, so we're going to have Payton talk a little bit about that experience, because this is... Is this your first Flash? This is not my first Flash ever. I've flashed devices before. Uh-huh. Uh, I had a Samsung Galaxy S2 that I put, uh, like AOSP or whatever, AOKP, whatever mm-hmm. the... Not the default Google, but the other project. I put that on there, and that was that was pretty nice to do that. But this is uh, this LG tablet I have. I got it from work, and I the LG the default LG for me was just I, I hated it. It was slow. It was full of software that I didn't want to use. And I tried to flash Cyanogemon on it, and it was really terrible. It ate up the battery really really bad and was slow. Like it didn't even last twenty four hours on a charge. So then I went back to like a default unlocked LG ROM for a little while and that was that was alright. But then we talked about Lineage OS and I was like, well, I'll give it a shot. And it installed very quickly, very easily. It was probably the easiest uh flash I've done out of, you know, three or four phones that I flashed various things it's android Mm 7.1.1 and i flashed the g apps along with it and it i mean it's faster it's a lot faster it's got really really amazing battery life i am surprised it's like a whole different tablet than what i originally used Mm -hmm. yeah and i mean you know you said that you did an upgrade yeah if you were if you're previously running cyanogen mod now it's only for a limited time and I, i forget how long these transition packages are going to be available but they have like a a sort of transitional package where you can go right from cyanogenmod to lineage but obviously if you're not running cyanogenmod before you're gonna have to do a a full flash from scratch so yeah so i full fully flashed 
from you know from zero. I formatted and flashed from zero, and it was an easy install. It went by really really fast, and it's it's a significant decent improvement over anything else I had tried. And for the record, I want to just clarify that there was the old Nook tablets that Barnes & Noble was selling. Not the, you know, decent ones now, but the, it was an older one. Mm-hmm. I successfully flashed that to Android no and kidding. used that as a tablet. So I'm not a newbie when it comes to flashing devices. Got it. So I just wanted to put that little bit of caveat in there. Okay. Is that it? You're, you're still still using it and everything? That's, I mean, yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll use it. Yeah, I'll use it for forever. As long as the tablet lasts. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, as long it's, as they keep, nice. keep releasing new versions. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Cool. Very cool. And yeah, so before we get into the, the meat of this episode, this, this SHA-1 thing is, it's intense. Yeah. Well, let me put it this way. So since 2007, I think it was, there was a theoretical flaw, a theoretical weakness discovered in SHA-1 and published in a white paper and so on and so forth. So then everybody was like, all right, we need to start getting stuff off SHA-1. Yeah, it's faster than SHA-256, whatever, but it's time, you know? Yeah. However, it wasn't until 2010 that major players in the in the in in our industry started actually taking that seriously. So Microsoft and, and certificate authorities and stuff actually started developing a moon, like a uh, end-of-life plan for phasing out SHA-1. However, there are still people using SHA-1. Now, if you need some sort of unique identifier yeah i would say sha one's probably still acceptable which is why i'm not too worried about it being used for uh git commit ids just as linus torvalds explains in, in a post to to the git mailing list we'll link to it yeah so i'm not too worried about that and it's still handy for you know i i guess a quick and dirty way of generating unique identifications based on files. But with that, it's I would definitely not use it to verify integrity of files. Which realistically, you already should not have been doing. Right. For at least yeah. seven years, if not ten. And that's that's kind of the big <laughs> point I want to make there is because like at the very least, for seven years, you should not have been using SHA-1 for verifying integrity. Now, a sort of sidestep of this is somewhere in the middle. My concern is it's used for GPG key fingerprints. The full GPG key fingerprint mm. is an actual, you know, it's a SHA-1. I'm not terribly worried about it because currently, I mean, it took us this long to get to an intentional known collision. Yeah. And even then it was with PDFs and PDFs. SHA-1s and PDFs are really not very prone to cryptographic functions. In other words, they picked PDF for a reason to yeah. develop this on. Just to bring up something that I, I find amusing about this mm-hmm. is that, you know, every time there's a there's a compromise, uh, there's a page that says, test your test your vulnerability here, enter your credentials here, or, in, or put a file here. And I know that deep down, like, you can somewhat trust that a little bit, but Most it's still them, yeah. just like, it still just makes me want to be like, ah, yeah, no, that's that's not a good thing. Yeah, so <laughs> <shouldn't> be. <laughs> like be be really careful with online password generators, online password yeah. strength audits, anything where you don't control the source of it, the initial source of it. Always be wary of those, of course. And that even extends, that's actually another side point we were going to talk about. That extends to software as well. Everything you install that you didn't code yourself is some sort of inherent trust slash risk involved. Some have higher risks, like, I mean, some WordPress plugin you found on the internet or whatever. <laughs> WordPress. Yeah, oh, we, we didn't mention that. There's, I'll, we'll, we'll link to it in the show notes, but there's another, of course, huge WordPress vulnerability, even though we just reported on one. There's another one. You don't say. <laughs> no surprise, right? Which, I kind of like, I'm kind of at the point now where I don't even want to bother reporting on them because it's like, it's going to be in there every every episode. Yeah. Wait, 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 wait. Water's wet. <laughs> Yeah, this just in. Water is wet. So there's that. The paint is still dry. <laughs> and, you know, there's there's different levels you can apply to trust. Like, I would trust the Arch core, the base repositories, much more than I would trust the AUR. And I would trust the AUR more than I would trust some schmuck writing a WordPress plugin, you know? So do keep that in mind. But, yeah, that, again, sort of plays into trusting the source. And really, yeah. integrity's kind of got to be a holistic thing. We can rely, only rely on cryptographic functions for so long. Right. And I don't think we'll ever successfully see a GPG 
fingerprint spoof because there's going to be easier ways to attack GPG, you know? And especially if you do verification the way you should, in which case you exchange the fingerprint in person and you sign the key in person and the other person validates it. Uh, you know, if you do all that in person like you're supposed to with photo identification and all that, yeah, it's a greatly, greatly reduced risk. But the fact that now we actually do have something demonstrated and proven that SHA-1 is broken. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a good reason to move forward if you're one of those people still using SHA-1 for that purpose. We, I use SHA-256 for the GUIDs for the episodes in the, the feed. It's a straight, I mean, that's one way you can verify the integrity of the download. It's a SHA-256 of the actual audio file. And that's something new with the new site in the new feed. I was able to, to generate that. But I can imagine a, a day where SHA-256 is broken. It's already, there are some length reduction attacks. That doesn't mean SHA-256 is broken or even theoretically broken. It just means they're, it's not as strong as we thought it was. You know, it, it, this sort of thing is always typically a gray area. There's no known vulnerability to totally busted, you know. But yeah, and I'll have to figure out what to do if it comes to a point where it gets that serious. But SHA-256 should still be okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't know. I'm I'm just shocked that we finally got to this point. But more than that, I'm shocked that it took us 17 years to get there. Well, but I mean, time marches inexorably along, you know. I mean, stuff like this is going to start happening. Not 17. 10 years. Yeah. But you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. I mean, like... Like, stuff like this is going to start happening, whether we are ready for it or not, you know? And the warning signs have been out there for, what, seven years? Mm-hmm. And Widespread, people yeah. Are people are still using it, I mean... Ten years. It was announced ten years ago, but it wasn't... It didn't gain widespread popularity knowledge until... Right, yeah. right. So, I, you know... Wait, are you guys done talking about this real quick? Yeah, I, I'd say we're done. I'm, I'm just... I thought it would take less time, is what I'm saying, but... Yeah. Oh. Oh, for the the collision? Mm -hmm. uh, I actually just wanted to mention something we completely fucking left out of the news. What's up? Amazon shit its pants yesterday. Yeah. 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 Amazon oh, dropped yeah. an entire region. They completely... And there was no there was no GitLab style, this is what we fucked up with either. It's... Yeah. Well, I mean, would you expect it though? Amazon's a lot more... Mm. They're not as open. Well, as well we is. didn't know what to expect True. from GitLab either because they'd never True. had anything quite like that happen and they're a relatively young company. True. True. But yeah, I'm not surprised at all that Amazon didn't release jack shit in terms of details. Yeah. I also think it's interesting, like, so many people were surprised at how much was affected by it, like, point-of-sales transactions and shit like that, and it's like, this is what people are doing, I guess, is like... This is, this is why we warn you against using the cloud. And the, the highlight of my day yeah. yesterday, it didn't impact me at all, personally, mm. but the highlight of my day was when Amazon tweeted that they had repaired their ability to update their health report dashboard, which had previously been broken because it relied on S3. Yeah, so let's... Let's take a moment here and laugh at how I that really should have been our baddie, but we we've got another pretty good one too. Just how terrible. You know what? Let's let's assign this baddie to them next episode because they deserve one for this. They absolutely deserve one for this. Yeah, Along with everybody with who relies on Amazon exclusively. But moving is almost everybody. Yeah. <laughs> Sadly. Well, and you know, every company has a bad day. We've yeah. seen Google sure. outages. We've seen Apple outages, et cetera, et cetera. I don't remember seeing a Google outage for like three years at the least, though. It's been a while. Yeah, yeah, it's, they, it's, they're they're coming and go. far between. They're often very regional compared to like yesterday with so many fucking people affected. But yeah. That was, yeah, the that difference was there is it's large like, percentage of the United States. It's like the difference there is Amazon's outage was an entire region of their servers. Yes. Which yeah. affected everyone yeah. using that region. So all that to say, like, it's understandable, like things do happen regardless of whether or not you want them to. Mm -hmm. But the big deal is, like, even their health reporting tool relied on the service that it was actually responsible for monitoring. That's the point I want to get. That is that really is fucked up and stupid. You're monitoring your health status reports, all that. That'd be like... If it's customer-facing, or even if you need access to it, it should be out of band. It should be out of channel, totally. Why yeah. would you run... That's like... That's a... <laughs> Gosh. No, I mean, it's like running a single instance of Nagios on every single machine you have just to monitor that machine. Yeah, yeah. Or or on a more abstract level, it's it's like running uh, your primary, secondary, and tertiary authoritative name servers on the same box. <laughs> you know, like, it, it just totally defeats the purpose. Because DNS isn't already the problem all the time anyway. <laughs> don't you start. Don't start that. Yeah, I don't know. I So, fuck you, Amazon. 
you'll hear about this again next episode because I really want to give them a baddie for this. So that's what I think we're going to do. I'm okay with yeah. that. Yeah, are you okay with that, Jason? I guess, but now the surprise is ruined. Well, it wouldn't be a surprise next time. Infinite sadness and tears. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I can't even. You can't right, handle me. Let's, let's you can't get... handle the truth. You that is not the truth. There is so much there that is not the truth. I don't even know where to begin. Let's move on though. Yeah, let's move on. So yeah. discussion and props <laughs> to Jathan because he came up with some some. He's been doing great with discussion topics lately. So I I, I just want to plug him on air and say thanks, dude. You're doing a good job. My tail's wagging. <laughs> All right. Don't <sighs> make it weird. So the first question he has is, could AI take over the role of a sysadmin? And we've seen a lot of a lot of news and a, a lot of even general paranoia about AI and it taking over the jobs of of every of humans. If a shell script, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, let's start by talking about Sysbot. I mean, sure, he's basically as much of a person as we are at this point. No, he's not. <clears throat> he's kind of a dumb. God person, knows he's the one publishing all this shit. What Sysbot? Everything. What? No, he doesn't publish anything. All he does you is announce that... RSS, RSS feed. Uh-huh, sure. I'm the one that maintains Sysbot. I would know what he does, Jathan. <laughs> okay. He does the literally the only thing he does in the channel without being prompted to do is RSS announcements. And those you have to manually add and reminders and stuff like that, scheduled events and stuff like that. And those you have to manually add. So it's, there's no. And the rage. Well, no, no, no. Yeah, he uh, those, flips a lot of tables. To manually, those you manually have to prompt. You mm -hmm. That motherfucker is angry. Well, well, that's because we wrote the aliases <laughs> to do that. But there's, he does nothing by himself, right? Well, no, that's a lie. He joins the channel after start. You know, he joins the IRC network. That's it. And that's because I configured him to do that. So he's pretty far from an AI. There's no sort of measure of intelligence there. I don't know. So pretty much Jathan's closet, too? <laughs> sure. What? He's calling you dumb. <laughs> There's no intelligence. Yeah. He's calling you dumb, Jathan. And that kind, of, that kind of illustrated his point. Oh my pretty God. funny. Okay, whatever. Let's talk perfect. about the actual Thanks, fucking Jaython. thing. Right. <laughs> does anyone does anyone want to go first on this talking point? I, I want to go first. Okay, go. Go, go, Jaython, go. Yeah, okay. So, so the reason I sort of thought of this question, and we'll link to this in the show notes, but there was an article basically that says Americans believe robots will take everyone else's job, but theirs will be safe. And, you know, I was just sort of thinking, like, you know, why do people get off thinking this? And I think one of it is just people have inflated egos and think that they're irreplaceable, which is generally not really true. Sure. But the other thing is like, you know, there are definitely types of jobs that are better suited for being taken over by robots than other ones, I would argue. And even saying that out loud, I feel kind of ridiculous. But, you know, like somebody driving a forklift, I personally fully believe that, you know, a warehouse being treated as like a grid could be done by a robot and not a person. And I think we could all probably understand why. But then I was thinking like, you know, what do I do in the course of a day that a robot could do instead? Well, you know, there's some things that I think a robot could do. Like, I think a robot could change a hard drive. Sure. And there are some that, that can, yeah. But then I was thinking of other things. And specifically, like yesterday, I had this one client that was acting sort of funny. I had just moved it to a new physical location, which means I had to change its IP address and stuff like that. And, you know, it just seemed like certain requests were not quite making it to this machine. Mm. And so I actually asked Brent, like, hey, you know, what's the command I can use to check if, you know, these packets are being split between another host? Like maybe I'm, I'm sitting on an IP that something else was already using, even though I was fairly certain I wasn't. Mm -hmm. And and so you came back and told me to use ARPing, which was good. And, you know, it proved my point, which it wasn't the issue. But I was just thinking, like, you know, reasonably, how do you teach a robot to troubleshoot things that aren't necessarily extremely black and white? Mm -hmm. Like, if I see the behavior of a specific machine... I can usually come up with a pretty solid list of options why it might be behaving that way. But, and, you know, there's always like, this is step one, this is step two, depending on the outcomes, do step three A or three B or whatever. Mm -hmm. But, you know, like in a systems administration role, I don't necessarily think the steps are always that clearly defined. So I'm not sure it'd be very easy to write a sort of manifest like that for a robot, if you will. Mm -hmm. And so I'm mostly just curious, like, you know, do you guys think that foreseeably a robot could be a sysadmin? Do you think that... A robot could ever learn how to program or script. I think at some basic level, the answer is definitely yes, but I don't know where that starts and ends. And of course, you know, none of us are probably able to speak with a whole lot of authority here. Mm. None of us are fucking experts you know in that what? kind of field, but... 
I will tell you, we have more authority to speak on it than Stephen fucking Hawking. Oh my god. Okay, well, I don't care because you hate Stephen Hawking. No, no, no. I don't hate him. I think scientists these days have a, a terrible habit of speaking in areas in which they have no direct experience with, right? So we have... Don't we have a president who does that? We have a lot of people that do that. But my, my <laughs> point here is a lot of this sort of conjecture about the threat of ai if you will a lot of it comes from people who are not qualified to even get near the topic where mm-hmm. i would not qualify myself as someone who's who's qualified to discuss this at length but i will say i am definitively more qualified than a physicist to talk about it and here's why we deal with the actual tech behind these we've we've written code i well yeah. jason and i have I don't, I don't know if you've written any anything yet Peyton. have you been scripting or Yes. No. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So, yeah. so, so the yeah. three of us. Yeah. Yeah. We've, in fact, we intentionally try to automate as much as possible because it makes our jobs easier. We'd be terrible sysadmins if we didn't. Yeah, I was going to say every good systems administrator should be automating anything they're doing more than once or twice. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And you know, it, it's what we strive to do. And if we can make that easier, we're all for it. We're never going to be obsolete. And a lot of humans aren't. Yeah, like your idea with the, the factory grid, right? And and I guess a GPS, like a real fine GPS kind of forklift, self-driving forklift, sure. The problem well, with there is... Well, it could is... just as easily be if there were literally no physical obstructions, it could even be like based on lasers like sure right 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 know, it, it doesn't out matter <laughs> so much how you control the coordinate system sure it matters sure, sure. more the yeah. made the sort of meta idea of it and here's what i'm getting at humans and machines will always think differently period we will never at least certainly not in our lifetimes and not in the lifetimes of our children come up with a machine that can think like a human because we're wetware we operate in a totally different realm than machines do we don't need someone to tell us what to do to do it you know and ai the whole point of ai is to make decisions right but the way they do that is like what kind of what jaython was talking about where there's a systematic flow chart if a then b lc right Right. At the end of the day, that's what it is. That's all it is. AI, all that attempts to do is sort of fuzzify that a little. It tries to be smart about what the best option of that is. So, you know, if A, then B or C, it tries to decide if B or C would be more optimal in this context. However, it doesn't learn from that. We don't have a true learning machine. We call it learning when we train AI, but all that's doing is sort of a weak pattern recognition. Humans have... We operate, and this is much to our fault, by the way, we operate on a true pattern recognition rather than a weak pattern recognition. That's how we think. We make correlations. We say, okay, I know that ARP, for instance, if it's being split between these two hosts, will behave like this. So therefore, we got to find out if they're sending back the proper ARP requests using Jathan's earlier example, right? A machine would look look at that and say, okay, what's the problem? And obviously, this is probably, I doubt an AI would ever get to the point. I doubt it would know that there is a problem occurring. But if, you know, I'm, I'm not going to put limits on that and say we can't come up with that. So assuming... Well, that's, that's only sort of true. I mean, in theory, if you had a script running on a monitoring system that constantly was looking for packets going to this system and all of a sudden it dropped 50% of them, that would basically indicate a problem. Sure. But Which, you know, that's not exactly the behavior I was seeing, but well, it's just an example. Here's, here's another thing. In order to train the AI, the AI to do that, you need to program that into it. That's going to be an actual routine you need to have it look for. Well, and that's it's just It's not it. going to know to look for that. Yeah, yeah, Humans right. don't even know to look for that until there's a problem. We're very reactionary like that. So machines fare much better, even in AI, with hard restraints, however nuanced they may be, and they don't really, they are not good at coming up with new protocols. They are good at following protocols. And uh, yeah, yeah, granted, humans aren't aren't good at it either, but we can actually do it is is what I'm getting at. Well, uh, here are my thoughts on that. You can you can write a script right to look at your your R packets or you know to check for updates on your on your server mm-hmm. or you know uh, anything really, but to make and I'm I'm agreeing with your point here about we're not going to invent this in our in our lifetime anytime mm-hmm. you know to make something that can actually like see hey the error the problem is that you know your hard drive's full well okay what files can you delete. It's going to say, hard drive's full, I'm going to delete the biggest file. Well, don't delete the biggest file. Oh, we need to write it in there 
to not delete them. Mm -hmm. So what's it going to do then? Well, it's going to check in this directory and this directory. And I think that at some point it's going to become more convoluted and it's not going to work the way that people want it to work. Sure. And, and I mean, like you're saying, the human element, I know for a fact that if I've got a full hard drive, I'm not looking in opt or, you know, Etsy or, or user. I'm looking in temp. I'm looking in var, you know. Mm. Uh, I'm going to look in my home directories, you know. But uh, to teach a programmer, to teach a machine, hey, if you've got a full hard drive, don't look in these directories. It's going to be like, why not? It's, it should be the next logical place I look. If it's full, I should remove the biggest file. Well, you know? there but, were, but not I, really, because there were kind of making the assumption that AI would be would have the ability to be disobedient, and that's a whole another philosophical discussion. Like, do we? But how if much? It's truly, how much agency do we give these AIs? You know, that's a whole another discussion. But that's the. That's the thing. If we're going to create a machine that thinks and acts like us, it's not going to be obedient to us. We have to set parameters, sure, but it's not going to follow those parameters. There's no three laws in our universe. We don't have the three laws. You're and referring I think to the that's... Asimov laws of robotics, right? Right. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, well... And, I mean, I mean, we have those, but those are Asimov's conjecture. We don't actually physically have those. We don't have robots that follow those yeah, rules. Yeah, they're that. not they're not inherent to robotics. They're those are laws that Asimov said these right. should create theoretically safe AI, except for these one or two instances, as developed by like a iRobot. The novel, not the movie. Right. If you read the novel, right. like oh, the movie's yeah, yeah. If you read the novel, you realize like, okay, it's not what what looked like it was harm was actually not. You know, and that's the whole idea behind it. Right. But yeah, there's the first gen we definitely can do that with. We definitely can say under these parameters that fall under these three main laws, don't break them. Uh, and a machine will obey to quote unquote obey. The only well, we should I, we should make it obey. Yes. Well, I, yeah. I, I mean, it wouldn't be able to not obey. Is my point in, in first gen AI? True. First gen true AI, it would not be able to right. disobey. You start getting into hairy areas where you start getting AI-generated code. And we have that now. It's pretty basic. But if we would trust AI to create other AI, the problem there is we it doesn't have the same value system. So, yeah, going back to training an AI, you know, whatever, in your file system example, right? Yeah, it might want to inherently delete right, the right. biggest file unless we tell it not to. It may not, it probably won't actually ask why not. It'll just not do it. But if you don't, that right there is one whitelist rule, right? Never delete this file. Yeah, sure. So then what happens? Okay, so it, it didn't delete my, um, I don't know, say I'm a graphic artist. It didn't delete my, I don't know, the project I'm working on for a big client. Because that yeah, yeah. just happened to be the biggest biggest file yeah. in the directories of search, whatever. So that's safe. So you know what? It then keeps looking for the next biggest file, according to its programming. And it says, okay, right. found this other big file. I'm going to delete that. Turns out that was a tarball of all of your invoices. So now you're fucked. And it doesn't, it doesn't have that sense of value, right? And machines don't have a good way of knowing value inherent to humans. They're not going to know that pictures of your dead mother that are obviously not creative not recreatable by any means it's not right. going to know the value of those and in order to do that we right. need to teach them we would need to teach uh, machines emotions at the very basic level and we can't do that we can teach it to mimic emotions we can do that pretty well there's still the uncanny valley so like you know whatever but we're working on that but sure. we're not even anywhere near that we can't have it inherently have actual consciousness and this is a, a really deep philosophical discussion. I'm sorry, listeners. Like, I, I didn't plan on, yeah. like, going this yeah, yeah. deep, but it's it's kind of something you have to break down block by block until you get to the most basic level. And that is humans are not sentient. And while they can get to a point, <laughs> while they can mimic sentience or they can mimic a conscience, they won't have what we have. Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, realistically, I think the person who creates AI is not going to be an average citizen, your average person. I mean, it might be the scorpion guy. Who knows? I mean, he's got the highest IQ in the world, you know. Oh, wait, I'm sorry. But no, realistically, I mean, I don't think AI is going to be invented by, you know, a normal guy. I don't think it's going to be invented by one, one person mm. even. You know, yep. I think it's going to take, I think it's going to take a large group of people. And the problem is, like you said, we're not just going to have to teach it intellect, we have to teach it emotion. It has to understand why we cry, why we feel hurt when we get, when we get hurt emotionally or physically. Mm -hmm. It's got to understand that. Going back to iRobot, that the movie version, I just want to talk about that for mm -hmm. a second. They really, it was interesting because he could feel, I, I didn't read the book, 
So I can't speak to the book, but I'm fairly confident that he had emotions in the book. It's been a while since I read it, but from what I recall, it's not really a lot of a lot of it's spent on how their brains are more organic than machine. Uh, they call them positronic. Okay. Okay. Makes sense. Like data. Yeah, yeah. They don't really experience emotions per se, but they do have a higher... They have a capability for ethics, we'll say, rather than morality. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Ethics is ethics is a good... Ethics is a great thing to talk about when it comes to AI. How do we know that a robot is being ethical? Well, How do they make a decision? I think that's the thing is we have to program that sort of decision making into it. It's like, does a self-driving, who's ethics? Does a self-driving car that? save a person on the street or the person in the car, right? Like, mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and that's something that's, that's something current. That's something we're running into now. And there's a lot of yeah. legislation being yeah, done on it. But, I mean, that's, that's just a self-driving car. That's not an AI. That's still the hard list of per- that's what we call ai that's not actual ai right that's not true right. ai it is not right. an it, actual intelligence well, it's, it's it's still yeah granted it's very complex and it's incre- it's incredibly hard to understand and definitely not doable by one person right but it's still not actual intelligence and there's no capacity for what it can't look at a new situation with an ethical standpoint i'm not saying it would be it would automatically look at it with an unethical standpoint because that would that would imply that would be evil but what i'm saying is it has no innate concept of ethical behavior Right, right, right. And that's something that it would have to be, you know, uh, this is an air quotes taught, like you'd have to program it to I don't, follow the code of ethics of a person. Right? I don't think like, that's possible, though, because why we, not? It's, it's not possible. with us, with humans. Our sense of ethics is always contextual, always. There that's is not a true. single person, right. not a right. single human alive that will have a code of ethics and follow it to the letter every single instance where it comes up. Right. OK. And what's morally eth- more, what's morally OK for you, Jaython, may not be morally OK for me. Oh, I know and, it's not. And the same for I'm well, better than you. Know, you. But, oh, my gosh. No. But here's what I'm saying. It's like if I'm <sighs> writing an AI, right, mm-hmm. uh-huh. you know, wouldn't you want to make it context aware in such a way that you would make it make the same decision you would given the situation? And you can't anticipate every single situation ever, right? And that's my point. Humans, but, but we don't at the need same to time, anticipate it because we have an innate sense right. of value. So we don't need to be able to anticipate every situation. And we can't anticipate every single situation. Right, so how right. would you program that? I, uh, I don't know. But the other that's thing is, the other thing is, is this got, this got pretty very theoretical. Oh, shit. We're stuff. at 45 minutes. Yeah. Yeah, this got really theoretical, but really the question more so was, you know, sort of related to the idea of maintaining, you know, like a server environment or something, which I would argue there's many, many less ethical decisions to be made as a systems administrator than living in the wild, if you will. Not necessarily. I mean, all the time you have to deal with with people's with people's work. That's someone's life that they put into It depends that server. what you do though. It, it, no, it does not depend. Yes, it does. People Let's let's okay. compare. I mean, like if you're if you're making freaking dog food, then all right, I can understand what you're saying. I don't know. But if your job if your job is is like your your job is important enough that you're changing like medical community or, you know, do you expect making AI, yeah. well, you me, know? Well, let me I, I let mean, me kind of touch upon what Peyton is saying here, Jason. Do you expect it possible to have AI psychologists, AI politicians, AI policymakers. No. Okay. No, I don't. And that's I don't where think we're that, getting that with here. I don't think AI could engage in politics. Sure. Or even or psychology. Why? Or, or I would why? Even, why? I would even say we don't want AI doctors. There, it would be very useful in the medical field. Don't get me wrong. I'm not. But there's a lot of times when doctors follow somewhat of an intuition when making a diagnosis, I think. How do you program intuition? You can't. That's I'm agreeing with you. Okay. Okay. Got it. Like, and that's my whole point is like, I would, uh, well, all right. To wrap this around to the general question we had to bring this topic up, because we spent a while on this and I don't know how long people want to listen to us rant about this. (laughs) We probably could. Well, the AI stopped listening a while ago. (laughs) Oh god! <laughs> the AI went delete, delete. If the delete. AI could uh, could create a transcript of this, that'd be super helpful. But the like going back, you mentioned the the factory floor, right, with the forklift driver, the self driving forklifts. Mm-hmm. That would necessitate that no other human beings are on the factory floor at the same time. Correct. That was an assumption. Yeah, and I sort of stated it as well. Okay, and it's because machines, and I'm not saying this is right or wrong. We can discuss about what the actual value of sentience is and whether we should value other quote-unquote life forms as having more or less value than other humans. I mean, I I eat cow, so I'm like, 
Yeah, I, I would definitely classify yeah. them as lower on the value of life value, but lower on the scale of life value. But that's, again, another discussion that we could probably go into great length that has nothing to do with our podcast. But bringing back to the original point, I don't think AIs can take over some jobs. Other jobs, especially dangerous ones, factory working is a great example. I would love to see AI fire. I was just thinking that. Exactly. Yeah, you're... I would not trust AI to do firefighting and re- uh, search and rescue, that kind of thing. I would not trust them to... No? You don't think so? For search and rescue? I think they'd be great for the search part, but maybe not the rescue part. I think that they'd be okay for search and rescue. As, you know, I mean, I mean, the, the determination is, what do they have to do to rescue the lost person? Is it just bringing them out of the woods? Is it tending to wounds? Right, yeah. In, in my mind, when I said search and rescue, I was thinking, like, I don't know. Digging through the rubble after 9-11. Sure. Or, like, those... What's it called when the... The snow falls after a sound. Avalanche. An avalanche. Or like avalanche rescues, retrievals, you know, stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I really feel like AI would be perfect for something like that. I, you know? Well, and that's the thing. There's a lot of snap judgments you have to make, and it's hard to say this, and nobody likes hearing this, but there are times when rescue workers have to decide, is this rescue worth it? Is this person well, savable? And But that's because they have to worry about food and rest can they see what's down there? Mm. You can equip a, a rescue robot with AI with thermal vision, and you can have it have a better hearing, uh, better acoustics. It can, you know, it can be designed to pick up the breathing patterns of someone who's probably buried under, you know, how many feet of so snow. So you don't think AI should have a self-preservation instinct, or not instinct, but self-preservation? Routine or whatever you want to call it, motive. I think digging in an avalanche is different than rescuing someone out of a fire. You, How, you know in what, what I'm saying? Way, well, they don't have to worry about frostbite first sure. of all. Like you don't, you don't have to worry about frostbite. So, but they'd be I feel like, running at a warmer temperature than the water around them, and then the water would get in, probably refreeze once the ambient temperature was reached surrounding the air. So there's there's still I, environmental I mean, risks. Let's not let's not pretend there isn't. Sure, sure. Sure, I, I can I can agree with that. I, what I guess what I'm saying is if, if it's if it's built properly mm-hmm. and it's handled properly, I feel like you can send in an AI enabled robot to put out a fire, take someone out of an avalanche, especially something that you know maybe people can't get to. Mm. They can move faster, more efficiently. I think well, I, I think yet. that's. I don't the, know if you've seen robots well, trying to <laughs> trying to walk. Sure, I have. But, They're hilarious. Yeah. They're hilarious. I mean, I think I think what I'm saying is, uh, you know, with time and talent being added in there, I really feel like, you know, some of the more dangerous jobs are out there, especially factory floors. Factory you know, floors is, I think I, we I all would, agree on that, where it'd be, probably be the most. I mean, I worked in yeah. a warehouse my 18th my 18th uh, summer. I, I worked at the, uh, my ex-step grandmother was, worked for Mary Kay and they had a program where you could go and you could work, you know, in the industry somewhere. And so I you know, they, I chose the warehouse and I worked in there and they had special robots that followed a tracked pattern that moved stuff around that, you know, they couldn't trust the, the forklifts to mm-hmm. do or whatever. And then they had actually... And by the way, if, if, had, if there are any factory workers listening, I don't know why they would be because we're, we're a totally different <laughs> field. But if there happen to be, maybe they have a hobbyist interest or whatever, it would be awesome. Sure. If you happen to be, I'm not suggesting that robots take over your jobs. I don't want that. And I don't think we sure. were anywhere near that either because it's it's way too cost prohibitive at this point anyways but right. you know that being said we should probably move on because we still have one more well, topic but well i don't want ai or robots to take over our jobs i don't think an ai can do a sysadmin job because there's so much that you have to think mm-hmm. about and translate into is this the right step to take for this i don't think you could program in like steps or loops or you know decision making rather or, than uh, decision making yeah. for sure yeah Absolutely. So, yeah. Well, no, that's the wrong word. You can program in decision making, but there needs to be existing criteria. And oftentimes we don't have existing criteria. A lot of it is guessing and machines don't know how to guess. True. Yeah. True. True. I wonder how they would do in a dev test environment. What do you mean? I think he was transitioning. Oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. There you go. Speaking of Damn. dead test. Damn, that was just so subtle. Wow. <laughs> All right. Listen, Jason, you need to cool it. You need to cool your jets, buddy. So the other topic, and uh, we won't spend as much time on this, especially since we're at 54 minutes. It'll probably be uh, around 40 minutes currently in the edited version right now. The when can you 
make compromises in production. In other words, we've got some best practices, right? We've got always run all of your production servers on the same software versions, the same software, same configuration, you know, as much as possible. The whole idea of having a, a cattle rather than same a pet or a series of pets. Sure. I am one of the biggest proponents of this. I will routinely heart people make your testing match production make your dev clap match production as closely as possible the difference is it's not always possible and we what specifically sparked this was in one of the irc channels all three of us are in someone was setting up a development environment and i told him to you know match the dns setup as closely as possible match the the sort of topography the running software so like distros and stuff like that but i told him yeah it's okay to use MariaDB instead of mysql and here's why i did that MariaDB is intended to be a drop-in for mysql it is one of the very few pieces of software where it is intentionally written to have compatibility absolute drop-in compatibility with another piece of software specifically written for that with optimal enhancements and i think that's why i made that exception because it's going to run a lot better on whatever he's consumer grade hardware rather than production grade hardware you know enterprise level hardware it's going to run a lot better on consumer hardware i'm not he doesn't need to run maria db in production i would recommend it because it's overall i'd say it's a much it's a big improvement but Mm -hmm. that's why i said that because there is a reason to use it and the reason to use it is going to outweigh the possible risks of incompatibilities you're going to run into they even have a list of incompatibilities between MariaDB versus MySQL for the given version. It is version matched. You Like version X of MariaDB is intended to match version Y of MySQL. So that's why I said that. What are what are y'all's thoughts on that though? Go ahead, Jathan. Well, yeah, you know, the one thing is I personally don't run a strict testing or development environment at my job. A lot of the things that I have to do that are like, you know, novel or sketchy are related to the clusters that I help maintain. And, you know, I'm not going to lie, I can rebuild a cluster node in 20 minutes if I have to. So as long as the whole cluster isn't being utilized, which, you know, lately it's just been a little sparse, just hasn't really happened. I just take one of the nodes, I take it out of the scheduler and I do what I need to do, test it there. If all is well, great. I can put it back in and roll it out to the rest of the cluster and nothing happened. If I fuck it up and something goes horribly wrong, then I rebuild the node because I have, you know, Pixie and Kickstart. Mm -hmm. It's 20 minutes of my life gone. It's not like I have to, you know, sit and babysit it. I just kick it off and let it go and then it puts itself back anyway. So, you know, in my case, I personally don't maintain a fucking testing environment because I have other options. And there are people who are like, well, you're an idiot for doing that. And, you know, that's great. Fuck you. Idiots and quotes. No, no. No, I've, I've gotten on your case about this many times. I know, but I said that there are people who tell me I'm an idiot and you said I'm one of those idiots. Oh, no, I, I thought you said there are idiots who tell no, no, me no. not to do that. No, I don't care if you've been on me about it because okay. I'm the only one who has to fucking justify the time spent fixing it if I break it. Well, but, here's well, here's why I say that, right? So you're at the point now where you have to run two different nodes, uh, two different clusters, right? Me? Yes, you have two different. We clusters. have four clusters, right? Four clusters, four separate clusters, and they one is being phased out and integrated into another of them, right? But they deviate. Then, my point is, they deviate in architecture, don't they? Yeah, absolutely. How do you? How did that happen? Well, one is six years old, one is three years old, and one is one year old. Okay. What would happen instead if you staged them, if you staged entire clusters and then obsoleted the old clusters? How many clusters, how many different deviations of clusters do you think you would have currently? What do you mean? You would have one is, is the answer I'm getting at, Chathan. No, but that doesn't make sense because then I would be crossing very different environments and pieces of hardware and everything else. No, you wouldn't. So Yeah, yeah I would. So, the three no, no, clusters, no, no. So listen four this. clusters. Right, so you've got... I'm saying if you had the chance to totally do everything over, yeah. you would have one cluster, right? And then when that hardware got old enough to decommission, you would get the new cluster, set it up, run testing across it, and then decommission the entirely old cluster. There would be no reason to have that old cluster around. Uh, yeah, it depends. On what? How much can I say here? <laughs> If I could take all of my nodes and combine them into one cluster now, even with different hardware, I would because the type of work we do isn't very dependent on the hardware anyway. Sure. But why, but why can't you do that? A lot of it's very political because of who paid for what and when and why. So I can't just say this user can use whatever piece of hardware they want. Sometimes they're a little limited in that capacity. Okay. So in this case, one of the, the cluster I just mentioned that's like six years old, we honestly mostly keep that for people who just can't get access to the you know, fancy new ones. 
And that's for purely political reasons? Well, for example, if there's a particular group that buys a cluster with a grant, mm-hmm. you know, they get priority on it, and ultimately they get to decide who else gets to use it. It's their cluster, essentially. Sure. So... Okay. And that's why you have four different cluster deviants? Not entirely, no. There's other reasons as well. Yeah, it's kind of a long story. I would, I would say that's probably the only valid reason, though. No, no. The majority of it at this point, honestly, is that... So we have one cluster that's entirely just GPU nodes, mm-hmm. and that's because one person bought all those nodes. So we don't want to integrate it with the other cluster, and then one day it just, you know, leaves or something. Sure. I, that, and and again... for GPU intensive... Not just computer. everybody has access to it, so... Yes, we could have them still assimilated into one, you know, under one scheduler, but it's still going to be, you know, configured in such a way that people only have access to certain bits. And it's just easier Uh, if we can keep it uh, uh, separated uh, so that... Let me rephrase. How many clusters, deviant clusters, do you have? How many different cluster configurations (laughs) do you have that perform the same purpose? Three out of four, Okay, I guess. And I understand what you're saying, but, but I'm talking about sort of a different thing altogether. Really, I understand. There's political bullshit, and, and there's no, no other not stuff, even that. I but... mean, even even for me, you know, talking about the, sort of the whole dev testing prod mm-hmm. thing, I still think I would do it the same way because the hardware is so vastly different and everything else. It doesn't quite add up the way you're talking. Why is the hardware different? Because it's just bought at different points in time by your firm or by clients. Both. Oh my gosh, Jason. That's that's what I'm saying though. I mean, like I have 30 nodes that have AMD processors and 60 that have Intel processors, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm not going to just use the AMD processor-based motherboards and hardware to test something that's intended to run on the Intel one. Right, and I'm not saying you should, but what I am saying, well, I mean sometimes it's unavoidable, sure. What I'm getting at though is you should be phasing out your old hardware in favor of new hardware. Mhm. Right. And when you do yeah. that, you should be obsoleting the entirely old cluster. Okay. For in favor How's that of gonna... a cluster. So you're saying the old cluster could become a test environment then? I would say no. I would say just sell it off to bidding. But Okay, then what does that have to do with me taking a node out of the cluster to test something before I put it on the whole cluster? Because now you have to do that four times if you've got someone if you've got to change if you've got someone on all four clusters who has access to all of them and they want the same feature set on all four of them. You don't have to do that four times instead of once. Yeah, but but that still doesn't... I can't go into more details about this, but that's just never going to be the case for what it's worth. Well, it's too late now, either way. But I'm saying if you had the option to restructure it, that's probably what you want to do. I think my thing is, and I think that you're agreeing with me here, Brent, is that when you buy hardware, Unless you buy a million pieces of that same hardware, if you go to replace that, you're not going to have the exact same hardware. Like it's just it's going to be different manufacturing. It's going to be it's going to be different a different time of the year. I mean, it is one of those things that just you cannot literally buy the same hardware constantly, consistently, regularly. Yeah, but what does that have to, to do with a certain level? But that's... testing and production because well, if you're running the argument... with the same, you know, if I buy two of the same server. Eight months apart, yes, they were physically manufactured, possibly in different places at different times, whatever. And, well, and how long, do, how deep do we want to take this? And this is my, but, my no, no, big no, that, no, that's that's too deep. The architecture. Oh, I can though, go deeper. I can go deeper. I'm not saying we should. I don't should, want you but to. I, I don't no, care. no, 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 no. Just, just hear me out. They're, the processors are probably cut from different sheets of silicon too. So yeah, yeah, yeah. but 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 yeah. they're the same architecture. Mm-hmm. They're very likely, as long as you control it such that they are, they're running the same operating system. They're networked in a similar fashion, et cetera, et cetera. Right, and that's, and that's my whole, that's what got me into the argument on that IRC channel in the first place, was like, how deep do you want to take it? Because there's always going to yeah. be some variance, and it's unavoidable. You should always, Absolutely. when possible, strive your fucking hardest to make it match. But it's not always going to be possible. And there was a lot of disagreement about that, saying like, no, you, you have to do it this way no matter what. I'm like, look, I'm not disagreeing with you on that. I'm saying it's not always possible to do that. And if you if you think your ecosystem, if you think your infrastructure is perfectly matched, you don't know your infrastructure that well, you yeah. know, because there's always some variant. And it means you're not looking for those variances and you're not trying to account for them. And that that's what has me worried because you're not, you're, that's how you easily get surprised and in the worst way. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, really. it's a false idea. Now, yeah, there's going to be cases where it is much easier to have developers on containers of servers rather than standing up an entirely new production environment that matches production to be used as staging or testing. Yeah, that's very cost prohibitive, and not a lot of companies have the ability to do that. And most cases, I would say it's not justified. But if you're doing like machine code, if you're doing stuff in assembly, yeah, it better be the fucking 
insane. Nine times out of yeah. ten, though, you don't need that. If And the person I was advising on this initially, all he was doing is working on some, some websites. Stuff that any... I mean, shit, the query language in general... This the structured query language is like what eighty to ninety percent compatible across different engines. So across like SQLite, across MySQL, across PostgreSQL, you know, like it is, yeah. it's a pretty standardized language. Now there's benefits you can take across those different engines, but if you've got an engine, a software designed to act exactly like another one, and where it deviates. It specifically lists those deviations, and I'll tell you right now, it has nothing to do with writing queries. It's stuff like really low-level engine tuning, which I can guarantee you he wasn't doing because he doesn't need it. Yeah. So the whole argument was just silly to me because, like, yeah, of all the people I know, I'm probably the one that harps on this the most about making your testing match prod as closely as possible, but that's the key phrase, as closely as possible, as closely as it makes sense. It's not always going to happen, and you need to come to terms with that, and it's okay if it doesn't. You need to have measures in place to account for that, and you need to design your dev slash staging slash production slash testing, whatever. You need to design it to sort of ideally flag for possible discrepancies, but it's silly to try and assume that developers are going to have access to the exact same instance as prod. Unless you want to give shell account to all your developers to production, but that's even crazier to me. If you do that, yeah, hurt you. that's 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 batshit insane to me. But that's going to be the only way you're going to get consistency across prod production and development, period. And that's yeah. what I have to say on it. Any other closing remarks? Jathan, Payton, anything else you, you, either of you have to say on it? Jathan? No. <laughs> no? What's the matter, Jathan? You're supposed to be high, high energy. energy, buddy. Come on. High energy, come on, let's go. High energy, let's come on, let's hear a woo. Woo! woo. That's not high energy. Slim, you gotta give it a little bit more than that, Jathan. Woo! That's a little bit better. <laughs> All right, Jathan, you want you want to take the baddie? Baddie, baddie, baddie. Okay. So hopefully everybody knows what the RSA conference is. If you don't, you should look it up. But it's not a go. huge security event. Typically takes place somewhere in California, but. I guess it's probably been in other places as well. I don't really know. Anyway, at this past RSA conference, which I believe was somewhere in the middle of February, like maybe the 15th sounds familiar. I don't know. Something like that. Anyway, very large security event. But as with any large event, of course, there are people who are going to try to have their fun or perhaps actually have some malicious intent. And so it was found on the floor of the convention center where this was held (laughs) that there were many, many, many rogue Wi-Fi networks. And after some analysis was done, it was found that several people actually just continued to use these fucking (laughs) Wi-Fi networks for, like, you know, the whole conference. At a security conference. At a security conference. So here's the thing. For security professionals. A security conference is not necessarily a secure event. Mm -hmm. But if you are getting your day job to pay for you to go to a security conference, you should probably be aware of what security actually is and what it means. Mm -hmm. Therefore, you Mm -hmm. should not be using Wi-Fi networks Mm -hmm. that are not trusted. And goddamn, if you go to a fucking hacker con or whatever, make sure you know how to actually connect to the real fucking network. Well, here's... So, for all of you who are at the RSA conference and connected to the wrong fucking Wi-Fi, you get a baddie. I hope all your shit's compromised. Oh my Do better next time. What? <laughs> Jeez. So fucking salty. I mean, salty. when I went to Hope in July. No, well, that's different. Hope is a hacker con. And- I know, but here's the thing. It's like. I actually think you you almost expect to get hacked. I I honestly almost felt like I was being overly cautious at Hope. Maybe yeah, but I'd rather be yet, overly cautious than be on. these fucking people. Yeah, and yet your Leno is no, he's, no, it it's not. He's he was God. joking around in a pre meeting about his his Leno being compromised. That's not. You can't compromise me. I, well, don't ch- fucking challenge people. Don't challenge people. That's how you Jesus. get. That's how you become a high profile target. Anyways, yeah. So I think it's important to point out that RSA is not a hacker con. It's a quote unquote security conference, which means it's for like people like in ties and suits and shit, you know, like it's like nine to five people who do blue team for their corporate environment. You know, it's not for like the people developing zero days and shit. Yeah, there might be some crossover where you get some of those people going. But by and large, those people aren't going to RSA. They're going to DEF CON. They're going to Black Hat. They're going and to a lesser extent, Black Hat, I should say. Uh, They're going to things like Hope, you know, things that are actually hacker centric. They're not going to RSA, generally speaking. And 
if they are, they probably are only going because they're comped. So compensated, not compromised, <laughs> if it wasn't clear. But yeah, so like, <laughs> these are people who are supposedly professionals. Theoretically, they should be more cautious than the hobbyist hackers that go up to these hacker cons. But they weren't. They were not. <laughs> By any means. And that's what it drives me insane. That's hubris right there. That's like saying, I get yeah. paid to do this, and I get paid very well by very big com- big name companies. I'm on a W-2 to do this. You know, like, that doesn't mean shit. <laughs> yeah, right. You know? Yeah, right. I don't know. I, I just, you know, if you're going to go to one of these, and you're going to be stupid and be like, oh, yeah, hey, oh, oh, Wi-Fi. Oh, okay, all right. And you don't check it, or, you, you know, you just don't verify it. I mean, that's that's on what you. What makes dude. me so angry is, like, know? I could understand if this happened at, like, Comic-Con or something. Def-Con. No, 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 Comic-Con, where, where people are not... Oh, yeah, okay, yeah. yeah. Where they're not that. supposed to be, ex- quote-unquote, experts in the field of IT security, you know? They're just a bunch of right. a bunch of people going. Sometimes they dress up as furries, whatever, you know? But, like... This was a security conference. These are people who are supposed to know better. Now, now hold on a yep. minute here now. You and I both know that there's, what, three different types of people who go to, to conferences like this? There's the people mm-hmm. who know shit, there's the people who want to know shit, and there's people who think they know shit and don't, they don't really know shit. <laughs> well, it's that last category that obviously is getting fucked up here. I think that last category got the highest percentage sure. at the RSA conference. Oh, it's yeah. always it's it's always the highest percentage. I don't, I don't know about always. I mean, ego is pretty hard to find in most hacker cons but it's more like the quote-unquote corporatized security conferences like those are where i'd say you see the last percentage the last section is the highest percentage so i would say that just because someone says that they're security or a security expert doesn't mean that they know what they're mm-hmm. talking about oh well, sure anybody as i mean i could say concerned. i'm a goddamn carp expert but i don't know much about carp carp yeah like the fish carp? <laughs> That's what I thought you meant. Well, I needed something fucking really? obscure that I didn't already know everything about, and there's not many things on that list. But carp is really? one of them. Whoa, let's really? watch the we, ego we, there we specifically. Up. We just we, talked about this. Jayton, I'm curious how you fit in the closet with an ego that big. Well, I have to leave the door cracked. <laughs> uh, I think that's a good closing point. What do you guys think? Yep, time to I shut the door so. on this bitch. <laughs> oh <my gosh>. <laughs> <laughs> This has been Carbon Ministribia. I'm Brent. I'm Jonathan. I'm high energy. Yeah! Like what you mean? Yeah, that's it. That's it.